I don't know about you. I mean, you guys have ever, um, you ever have a food that you really liked from somewhere and you ate it for years and years and years, and then one day you went back and ate it at the same place and they changed it? Oh, man, some of y'all just got like emotionally impacted by that. Um, I had this happen to me. Uh, it's something that was solid in my life. I was like, okay, I can count on this. It's always going to be there for me. I was a big fan for a lot of years of my life of the Sonic foot-long chili cheese coney. There was, thank you. Okay, praise the Lord. Um, there was just something about the mixture of meat and bread and cheese and chili and the creaminess of the cheese. I was just, I just loved it. The whole thing was great. And then it was uh, not that long ago in my life. I went back and ate it and I went, I don't know what it is, but it's different. And the thing that I thought was really solid and was not going to disappoint me, all of a sudden I found out that thing was shaky. Now, let me try a different example if that doesn't resonate with you. Maybe you're not as passionate about food as I am. I'm real excited about what's happening with the Texas Rangers right now. It feels solid till the bullpen comes in. It doesn't matter how many runs we got on the board at that point. What was solid feels a little bit shaky. Anybody with me on that? Don't get me started on the Cowboys. Like, I'm not even going to get there. What, what has ever happened in your marriage? Maybe you woke up, I don't know if you woke up this morning. Maybe you woke up this morning in your marriage and you went, this is going to be a great day. Like we're vibing. I, can, I know we're going to be like, they're not even awake yet, but I know we're going to be on the same page. It's just going to be a good day. I'm happy. I'm filled with joy. I'm so in love with him or her or whoever, you know, whoever you are. You know, and like you go, oh man, I can't wait. I can't wait. And then have you ever had that spouse wake up? And just by the look on their face, you were like, we are not in the same place. <laughs> I thought this day was going to go one way. Now it's seeming a little shaky. What if it gets into way more serious stuff? Like you go, hey, my family's not perfect. I get that, but it's solid. And next thing you know, parents are fighting with their grown kids. The whole family's not talking. And the thing that once felt really solid is shaky. Or you thought, man, I may mess up a lot of stuff, but I've got this parenting thing figured out. And then they turn 13. <laughs> and now your prayer life is, Lord, help me or take them, one or the other. I'm going to whoop them. I'm going to get them. You got to get them out of my way. I mean, it is a problem. And you go and you go, man, I, don't, I was not prepared for a world of all these social media apps. And they're using words like riz and bougie. And I don't know what any of that means. And you're looking at a kid you gave birth to going, who are you? And something you thought was really solid feels shaky. You worked and saved and worked and saved and worked and saved, and you put stuff into retirement, and then stuff happened over the last few years in our world, and a lot of stuff disappeared. And you go, man, I thought that was solid, but it's real shaky. Or maybe it's your marriage. You're like, you know what? No matter what else happens, I got this. But then stuff happened. Somehow you drifted. It's like somebody came up and like your, your marriage was a sink full of water and somebody pulled the plug and all the love drained out. And you're like, how did we end up here? This thing that I thought would always be rock solid now feels shaky. Maybe it's your job. You go, man, I've been working here for 25 years. Couldn't possibly be shaky. And then you hear words like economic patterns have changed or we're going to need to do some cutbacks. And now you, 
You're like, am I going to have a job in three months, six months? And something that was always solid in your life feels shaky. What about life between your ears? You're like, I can't control all that stuff out there. But in here, solid. And then stuff happens. You do something as simple as text somebody that you really care about, somebody you think you're friends with, somebody you're like, we're, we're cool, we get along, we care about each other. You send them a message that you think is important, and you look at your phone, because you know because they're important to you, you've got to be important to them. And the next thing you see on your phone is three little bubbles, and you're like, I knew it, I knew it, they're getting right back with me, because I matter in their life. The bubbles went away. Huh. Like, I know you saw that, sucker. I saw the bubbles. Next thing you know, you got thoughts going through your head. Do I really matter to them? Are they mad at me? Did I do something wrong? You got other stuff that hits your, your thoughts, like you're already a person that worries about things like finances, and then you go and buy two coffees for your daughter when one of them's turning 17 on their birthday. Hypothetical situation. And it's $16 for two coffees. And you're like, sucker, I know that's about 25 cents worth of beans you just strained that through. <laughs> Stuff starts bouncing around your head. Not to mention the whole thought of my, who I am and my identity and my worth and my value and what I look like and all that stuff. Not to mention when you start thinking about things like wars and attacks and the articles you read and the posts that you see and all of a sudden the world up here that you thought was so solid suddenly becomes really shaky. Okay, Jason, all those are fine. Um, I've, I've experienced those. Those can be shaky, but my character is solid. And then one day you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you just hate the person looking back. You have no idea how you became this person. Felt solid, but shaky. Which is to say nothing of a walk with God. Started off walking with God and somehow you drifted, your habits, your routines your priorities. Now you're filled with more doubt than belief. And suddenly, the thing you say most essential in your life feels shaky too. I don't know if any of these resonate with you. Maybe there's another part of your life where things once felt solid and now they feel shaky. But can I tell you, I see this all the time in ministry and I'm sure you do in your life. You've got the individual that you thought, man, they got this. No matter what they go through, they're rock solid. Or the marriage, you go, man, no matter what happens with anybody else, I know they'll be just fine. Then the phone call comes, or the text message, or the email, and you find out a marriage is ending or the character of somebody is crashing. And if I'm honest with you, over the last 28 years of ministry, I feel like it just happens again and again and again and again and again. Some of you are like, I wish I had not come to church this morning. <laughs> this is depressing so far. Let me, sw let me switch gears for you because I don't want you to miss this. See, here's the deal. In spite of all that, I'm an optimist. And the reason I'm an optimist is because my Jesus is victory. We live in the victory that comes from Jesus Christ, and he does not want our life to be that way. So let me give you a question after letting all that sink in. What if? What if your marriage doesn't have to be terrible? What if your parenting 
doesn't have to be bad and uphill constantly? What if your character doesn't have to be fake when you walk into church? What if God can help you build an unshakable life? And and I don't mean a, a life that has no challenges. I mean that when the challenges come, you stand firm, fixed on the rock that is our God. That's what I'm talking about, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is how do you build an unshakable life? There was an institute several years ago called the Institute for Home Safety, and they did a video. I showed this a couple years ago to our church, and the video looks like this. It's two houses built by the same company, side by side, placed into a wind tunnel and exposed to hurricane-forced winds. The house construction is the same except for how it is fixed to the foundation. That's the only thing different. It did not go well for one of those houses. Matter of fact, I want you to keep watching because I'm going to show this from a different angle just so you can see it. Both houses exposed to the same wind speeds in the same condition, built by the same stuff, and yet they're going to have a very different result based on how they are affixed to the foundation. And you're going to see one collapse almost immediately. And this may sound like a dumb and rhetorical question, but which house would you rather live in? It seems pretty obvious, right? Well, Jesus is going to speak to us about this issue. I want you to look in Luke chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. I want you to see the Word of God for yourself. If you are taking notes, get that out. If you are taking notes online, get the app out. If you don't know where that is, go to Crossroads right out on any app store, and you can do your notes digitally so you can keep them in your phone. It's really, really helpful. In Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46, if you're new with us today, we've been walking through a section of the Gospel of Luke from chapter 4, and we're going to end in a few weeks in chapter 7. This is a section where Jesus is focused on teaching us what it means to live for the kingdom of God. And so this is what Jesus is going to teach in this. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? Like he's coming out swinging right at the very beginning. There's this warning where he says, hey, I want you to know you're saying Lord, Lord. In other words, what he's saying is there's a spiritual life you're proclaiming, but your actual life does not line up to it. You're pretending. And he's actually going to go so, so far as to ask the question. He's going, why? He goes, if you're choosing to live disobedient to God, why are you pretending to be a believer? Like, why are you pretending to be faithful? What's the point in pretending? Why pretend? Just be who you are. Be one that is walking in rejection or rebellion of God. Why put on a show? Because your show is going to get revealed. And that's what he's going to tell us, starting in verse 47. I will show you what someone is like who comes to me and hears my word and acts on them. He is like a man building a house. Now, Jesus is going to use a building metaphor for houses. We're going to lean into it right now. I don't know. How many of you guys have ever bought like a used house? Like you bought a house somebody else built and lived in? Yeah, most people in the room, if you bought a house, you know what that's like. Have anybody ever experienced anything weird when you buy a, a, a used house? What I mean is like you walk up and there's a light switch. You can't figure out what it goes to. Anybody have that experience? Or there's one room and it was your favorite room in the house, but you didn't notice there's no outlets anywhere in the room to plug anything in. And you're sitting there going, I don't know what in the world these people were thinking when they built this house, but if I had built this house, I would have done it differently. But you didn't. Somebody else did. You went on Zillow and tried to search for your dream home that was somebody else's dream. And that was what we moved into and tried to think everything was going to go great. 
See, building your own home is going to be a real challenge. If you've ever built a house, anybody ever built a home? Yeah, building your home, it requires some stuff. Patience, planning. You've got to think through what you want everything to accomplish in order for that home to be built the way that you want. See, there's three things that I think Jesus is making clear here, and I want to walk through them with you. The first one is this. You might never build a house, like physically, but you are building a life. Jesus is not actually getting into home construction. This is not his objective. What he's going to do is relate building a home, building a house, to building a life. We make decisions with how we build our life. Every one of us. It does not just appear. There is no Zillow that you can go look at lives and go, oh, I'd like that life. Let me see if I can put an offer in on that one and see if I can get it. That does not exist. And what God is saying is because you have to choose how to build a life, I'm going to invite you into building an unshakable one, but you've got to build it my way. There's phases to construction if you've never done that. And the first one is the foundation. And the foundation is that you must know God. For us as a believer, you've got to know God. You've got to know the Word of God. The Bible, we say this all the time in our quip, uh, quip classes, that the, the, the Bible is not a book about self-discovery predominantly. It is a book about God discovery. That in the Word of God, we see God. We have so many people that live in a shaky world in their faith, and it's because they've never read the book that God gave to reveal himself to us in the first place. And so our foundation is not going to be strong. We have to know God. And then the second thing is you start to frame up. Once you put a foundation, you start to put some framing. You start to make it look and function a certain way. And for us, what that means is that you've got to discover your gifts, your talents, your purpose. You've got to figure out why God made you the way that he made you. You're not here to live 85, 90 years and simply die. There's a purpose for that 85, 90 years. There's something God has called you into. And that's not to make you feel some sort of specific weight. It's, a, it's an invitation. It's an invitation into joy, to live the way God's called you to live. It's an invitation into purpose. So you got to have a foundation. And then you got to frame that thing up, and then you got to finish it out. This is the part we love, where you pick cabinets and floors and countertops and paint colors and all that stuff. It's all the stuff you walk on and the stuff you touch and the stuff you sit on and all the things that you interact with every single day of your life in that home. It's in our spiritual life. It's our routines. It's our habits. It's the daily walk with God that we walk through in order for our home to do what God's made it to do. Our life, to do what God's made it to do. But the most, the, one of the most significant things of our home, and I don't want you to miss this, is that you then have to fill it. A house does not become a home until you fill it with people. And I don't just mean your family. I mean, God has designed you to make a difference in other people's lives. So you need foundation, framing, finishing, and fill it. But can I tell you something? The order of how you do that matters. If you try to put up framing before you have poured a foundation, it's going to go really bad for you. And as a matter of fact, once you pour the foundation and then you frame it up and you get all the wood in place, you start to put all the stuff inside the walls, before you seal the walls, before you put up sheetrock and you start to paint and all that stuff, do you know what you do? You bring an inspector in. And the inspector comes in and looks through that house and tries to, to point out anything inside the walls that's wrong. And here's a key thing that I think is important for us to be reminded of when we think about our life. It is way easier to fix those problems before we hide them. It is so much more convenient to deal with that stuff before we tuck it away behind walls of sheetrock or walls of whatever it is in our life. We've got to address those things before we cover it up because once we cover it up, it is harder for us to fix. 
You may never build a house, but you are building a life. Number two, you get to choose what you build your life on. A lot of people overvalue the, the, the room and the structure, and they undervalue the build, the foundation. And as a matter of fact, if you've ever gone to somebody who got a new house, I mean, anybody gets a new house, new car, and you come over and you see them, what is the first thing they want you to do? They want you to see it. They want to take a tour. And so they go and take you around the house. I want you to tell me, has anybody ever had this happen? You go over to somebody's new house, like Titus moves into a new house. Titus goes, Jason, you and Crystal got to come over. Me and Gabby can't wait to show you something. And when I get there, Titus takes me outside of his house. And he goes, Jason, you got to check this out. This is going to blow your mind. Look at that foundation down there. Look at that. See how flat that is right there? It's a good one. No. We take them and we show them the design and the rooms and the layouts and the paint colors and the backsplash and all those kind of things. But here's the thing that God is wanting us to understand. All those things that we love to show off, not one of them is going to matter if a storm hits. If you don't have a firm foundation, that stuff is gone. It will be destroyed. And the same is true for our life. If we undervalue the foundation that we build on, it all eventually goes bad. So if you want a great marriage, you want to learn to raise your kids the right way, you want to do the right things with your finances, your character, your purpose, then the key thing that Jesus is getting at is do not overlook the foundation that you're building on. So how's your foundation? Let's look at what Jesus is going to challenge us with. In Luke 6, verse 48, he continues, he says, He is like a man building his house, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood came and the river crashed against that house, it couldn't shake it because it was well built. 49. But the one who hears and does not act like a man who built a house, uh, does not, uh, excuse me, and does not act is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The rivers crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of the house was great. A couple of things right here. First of all, that word house actually translates household. And what he's saying is that we, if we're not careful about how we build our life, when it comes falling apart, it will not just impact you, it will impact everybody else that is in your household as well. Anything that your life touches are going to be impacted. There will be collateral damage. And so it's giving us a greater reason uh, on top of living for God to go like to protect those people that God has placed in your life. You've got to build a firm foundation. In the story of two builders that build two houses, Probably similar, similar supplies, yet one collapses and the other is strong. And some of the big differences that you're going to find is that a wise builder is going to value the routine decisions. We see this as parents when you're raising up your kids. You teach your kids routine decisions because they're going to shape their life. You teach your kids, go to bed early because you know if they don't go to bed early, the next day they're going to behave like little monsters. And you want them to behave well. So you go go to bed early, you're going to wake up in a much happier place. You teach them to brush their teeth every single day. Anybody have a kid ask that? I get to br- brush them every day? Yes. You know why? We don't want your teeth to fall out of your face. That's one reason. But also, when you're close enough to breathe on people, we don't want you to scare them away. So this is a daily routine that you're going to walk into. Those daily routines are the things that are going to help us reach the spiritual goals that God has placed in our life. See, I I want you to understand, and I want us to understand, healthy patterns in good times are the things that get you through the hard times. For many of us, the reason our hard times have collapsed us is because we didn't build habits in the good times. And that got exposed. 
A foolish builder is always going to neglect the daily routine in their marriage, in their schedule, with their friends, with their finances. And I'll tell you the common language, and I've been there, I've been one, you probably have too. The common language of a, of a, a foolish builder in those moments, I'll get that back on track later. I'll get back to that. When I have time, I'll do that. Those are the words of a foolish builder. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you so far in this message. So far in this message, there's probably a lot of people here going, uh, Jason, uh, this is a pretty straightforward text. Uh, we get it. Like, I've heard all this before. That's not the point. That's not the point of what Jesus is teaching. And that's not the point you need to get today. The point is not, have you heard it before? You can write this in your notes. It's not just what you know, but it's what you do with what you know that makes all the difference. See, here's what I want you to see in verse 47. To me, this is a key verse in the whole section 647. It says, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me and hears my words. And what are those next three words, church? Acts on them. It doesn't say, those who come to me and hear my words. I think that's how we think church works. I think that's how we think our faith works a lot of times, is that I go to church, and I get into church, and I go, I'm just going to hear the word. <sighs> Life changed. There we go. I'm glad I heard that today. Man, God, thanks for speaking to me. We go into a Bible study, and we go, you know what I need? I just need to hear this. I need to hear Okay, good. Heard it. Life's going to be different now. That's not what Jesus says. At no point in the New Testament are you going to find the command to go and simply be hearers of the word. He says, the one who comes to me and hears my word and acts on them. I know too many people, and if this is you, I love you, and I want you to know there's value in this, but they come into churches all the time, and they go, we need more depth, we need more depth, we need more depth. I need more depth in my Bible study, more depth in this, more depth in that. And I go, great, what does depth mean to you? And they want to go into great things. They want to get into, uh, you know, the... I mean, like context and, and, and you want to get into like exegesis and all these kind of things. Let's get into eschatology and soteriology and all these kind of big fancy words. And they're all great. Those are wonderful things. Those are wonderful studies. But if you're sitting there going, that's depth to me, but you're not walking in basic obedience to the simple things of God, you're lying to yourself. So here's what I mean. I can know all the Bible history in the world if I don't Honor my father and mother, not have any other gods before him. Don't lie, don't gossip. I'm not given to sexual immorality. I can know all these things. Do you know the most intellectual people were in the New Testament? The Pharisees. And the information that they had was not bad information, it was a lack of application that wrecked their lives. See, that's the key to this is that even baby steps will contribute to a rock-solid foundation, but you have to apply. That's why we lo I love that we come in here, we teach the Word of God. Let's dive into Scripture, we'll teach the Word of God. Let's walk through the book of Luke, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Let's walk through it, and let's teach the Word of God. But we don't stop there. Our church is heavy on application for a reason. Because it is with the teaching of the Word and the application to our lives that lives are transformed. And that's what God is teaching to us right here. It's so important for us to get. He also, I think, is wanting us to understand that spiritual growth is not a sprint. It's a marathon. 
It's a, it's a function of putting one right decision after another, one right decision after another, that every day I get up and I make one right decision, act on this truth that I know. When I get into conflict, act on the truth that I know. When I'm looking at my spouse and, and the spouse and I need to offer forgiveness, act on the truth that I know. When I'm deciding what kind of employee I'm going to be at my job, I'm going to act on the truth that I know. And it's one step after another, after another, after another, and it leads to transformation. And all, at the same time, please don't misunderstand me because I think we get this horribly wrong in the Christian world today. Spiritual growth is also not passive. See, don't miss how important this is. You're not going to wake up one day and trip and stumble into spiritual maturity. It doesn't happen that way. You're going to have to make intentional decisions. You're going to have to act. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what he says here. He says, I'm going to show you what someone is like who comes to me and hears my word and acts on them. That person is the person that's going to begin to live an unshakable life. Now, here's the question. If we've heard this before, if we've heard this story, how many of you guys have heard this, 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 uh, this uh, scripture many times? How many of you have heard somebody preach on it? Here's the deal. So we know it. Why don't we do it? That's where it gets weirdly quiet, isn't it? It's like, I think it's a continuum of us either being too unsure or too sure. And as a matter of fact, let me explain it to you this, this way. I think there are a lot of people that they don't act on stuff because they're too unsure. Well, I'm unsure. Do I know the right way to do it? Do I know all the right answers? Do I have all the right information? What if somebody asks me this question and I don't know? I'm going to be unsure. Or what if I don't know what to do in a given scenario? What if I'm unsure? Or what if I'm not really completely convinced of what my spiritual gift is? I'm unsure. I'm unsure. I'm unsure. I'm unsure. And their uncertainty leads them to doing nothing. They don't do the things they need to do because they simply convince themselves that they're too unsure. By the way, there's people, you know what, the biggest thing that is in the Christian world today is people go, I'm not going to share the gospel. I'm unsure that I know enough to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. The average person that says that in the Christian church today has been in church for over 20 years. Can I just tell you? First, you probably know plenty. Second, trust the Holy Spirit at some point in your life. Speak. Act on what you know. The other end of the spectrum is people that are too sure. I'm good. I am crushing this. Like, I think I've got all the answers. I think I've got it all figured out. They live in a state of spiritual arrogance. It actually leads them to being apathetic. They're so sure about all the answers in life that they have an apathy towards absolutely everything else and still don't do the things they need to get done. See, whether you're on the extreme of unsure or the extreme of too sure, both of those people get paralyzed in their personal spiritual growth. They have to start being intentional. I'm going to give you some very basic things that I want you to write down. None of these are going to be earth-shattering, but I am going to probably be a little bit aggressive about a couple of them, and I just want you to know that I, I've had to do it to me. And so I want to uh, do this to you also. <laughs> the first one is it's crazy. Be at church. Not earth shattering, is it? Don't get me wrong. I know there are times when we do stuff outside the, the walls of this building. Great. And I'm not even saying, by the way, this church. There's lots of great churches. I'm saying wherever you're going to be, be at church. Be in the body of Christ. Be connected to a group of people. Go do it. Do I think that coming and gathering together once a week like we do on a Sunday morning is important to your life? Absolutely I do. Because here at church what we do is we reinforce routines. 
This is where we reinforce for you what discipleship looks like and mission looks like and worship looks like. It's a place where we get to come and serve together. My kids love to serve. Do you know why they love to serve? Because they saw it in so many of you. Because they got to see it in our home. And it developed a passion for them to serve in their life. And I could now, I'll never be able to thank all of you enough for that. That I've got a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, and as of yesterday, a 17-year-old. And they love to serve the Lord because they've seen it in so many of you. And they've seen it in their home with their mom and dad. It's an amazing thing. I love this about our church. But can I tell you, I also know that the average person that attends church today, okay, like Crossroads is not, is not a church unlike any other. We're just like everybody else in a lot of ways. The average person that claims to be a Christian will, say that they, will actually say they only come to church about twice a month. That's, that's a regular church attendance today is considered one to two times per month. That's why when people come to me and they go, hey, Jason, how many people actually go to your church? I'm like, first of all, we don't count. Uh, second of all, I have no idea because, you know, it usually takes about three weeks for us to see them all. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times God's called you to go somewhere else, go on mission, go on ministry, or even sometimes to rest. What I'm saying is that there are many of us that are sleepwalking in our faith. And we're not coming together at a time when we are called to come together. There are 29 commands of the New Testament that you cannot live out disconnected from a local church. It's so important to our lives. But I think a lot of people don't do it, and here's a couple of reasons why. Um, I'll kind of paint some pictures for you. The first one is this. I know, and I've been on a weight loss journey like this for 48 years of my life. Okay? I know I need to eat better. I also know that fast food is delicious. And I need to eat healthy, and my body will crave healthy. And sometimes my body will crave healthy, but it's late at night or whatever. And you know what I do? I go eat something unhealthy. And it gives me the sense of being full. It's a bunch of stuff that's not really any good for me. It is a bunch of empty calories. But for a moment, my stomach feels full. And I think that's how a lot of people are engaging with church. They're not coming here to be filled up because they're already full of other stuff. It's just that the stuff they're full of is a bunch of empty calories that's not blessing their life. And we have to actually start making better decisions. Here's another reason that I'm going to tell you. I think a lot of people can skip church and not make any, any impact on their life. To me, I see church as a lot of things, but one of them is, is man, it's like this beautiful refueling station every Sunday where you come together and you get filled up because you've spent six days pouring yourself out for the Lord, doing what he's called you to do in your home, in your workplace, all the places that God is using you. And man, it's been a, a beautiful thing, but it's emptied you out. And so you can't wait to get to church on Sunday. You get to worship with the people of God. You get to aim your heart and just fixate on our Father who is in heaven. You get to lean into his word and let it saturate your life. And you get to get filled back up because you know you're going back out on a mission trip for the next six days. And I'm wondering... If a lot of people don't feel the emptiness of being poured out and the need to be filled because they'd spent six days not pouring out anything for the Lord. I go to the gas station when my car runs out of gas. Maybe the reason so many people don't feel a burden to come back and reconnect with the people of God and more importantly, most importantly, can reconnect with our Father God is because they're not empty. They haven't spent anything. They haven't poured any part of them out. They haven't walked in mission for six days because if they had, this would be the fueling station they'd want to be at. 
Next one. Be who you are at church, at home. This is an incredible habit that I think is important for us if we're going to build a firm foundation. If your family, and I'm going to speak to parents, grandparents, but listen, if you're, if you're a father in this room, don't write this off as anybody else's responsibility. If you're a mother in this room, don't write this off as anybody else's responsibility. I want you to hear this. If your family only sees your faith when you walk into buildings like this, then you are growing cynics, not Christians. They need to see you demonstrate your devotion to God. They need to see you demonstrate your devotion to each other. They need to see a godly husband and a godly wife be together and do spiritual things. They need to experience being a child that has the love of their mother and father being poured into them in a a way that builds their faith. We have to communicate our convictions in our homes. So often we're trying to change our culture by communicating our convictions from platforms like this. And as much as I love the opportunity, we need to be doing that in our houses. Passing on our convictions to one another. Next, find spiritual friends. This is going to seem so shallow maybe after the first two points, but I don't want you to miss this. If you've ever had issues, anybody ever had something in your house go wrong and you just really needed a friend that knew drywall? A friend that was in HVAC, somebody who knew something about electricity, and you desperately needed to bring that friend into your life because there was a problem and you needed, because stuff was getting wonky in your house and you needed somebody else to come in and step in that knew more than you did. Sometimes we need to call for help spiritually. The Bible is filled, filled with Christian friendships and Christian partnerships throughout because we need each other. I've shared this story before, but it's one of my favorites. Like, we, we, we don't like to ask for help, especially men. Men do not. We will drive in the wrong direction for as long as necessary. We will, we will circumnavigate the globe if it gets us back to where we got, just so we don't have to say, I am lost. We don't like to ask for help. And no time in my life was this more clear to me than when we bought a dresser for our daughter Addison from Ikea. And I thought, I'm smarter than Ikea. It's a bunch of Swedish people. I could, how can I not be able to do this? I mean, their best thing is meatballs. I got this. And I get this thing, and I put it all in there, and it's got all these things requiring tools that do not exist in a normal world, by the way. And you got it all laid out, and six hours later, you're still in a pile of pressed wood and little toggle bolts that you don't understand. And in that moment, your wife walks in and goes, hey, babe. Do you need any help? And what I heard is, hey, idiot. <laughs> Doesn't seem like you're getting this, are you? <laughs> we'll find something a little less complicated for you to do. For the meantime, go top off Mama's Dr. Pepper. I got this, okay? <laughs> she didn't say any of that. But that's what I felt when I simply asked for help. Can I just tell you, quit being proud. It's wrecking you from being healthy. We're going to do a thing that is coming up at the beginning of November, uh, the two last Wednesday nights of our semester. A lot of our Bible studies will keep meeting. So if you're in one of those, keep on doing what you're doing, men's ministry, women's ministry, Romans. But for anybody else that's, that's interested, 
in this room, Crystal and I are going to host a thing just called Finding Friends. And we're going to do some spiritual things there. We're going to have spiritual conversations. We're going to pray for one another. But we're literally going to give an opportunity for people. There's people that have been coming here for years, and there's people that have been coming here for about the last you know, week and a half. And all of them are coming in, and they're coming into a new church home, and they're just trying desperately to connect with friends that are the friends that are going to be there with them when they are in a difficult spiritual situation. We want to help you begin to make those connections. Matter of fact, so much so that next year, and we'll get into this later, but next year we're kind of redoing some of the way that we shape our groups in order to get more people into those spiritual friendships. The next thing I want you to write down, discover. Discover why you were made. God has given you, through his Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts. You have talents that existed before your salvation, but now God is going to repurpose them for his mission and his will. You have spiritual gifts that are endowed to you the moment that you become a believer, and that is going to be a powerful thing in your life. Discover why you were made, and then also make a difference. I told you, when you build the home, the key, fill it. Fill it with people. Be kingdom-minded. Invite people into a relationship with Jesus. Make a difference. The third point that I want to get to you can write this in your notes, is storms are inevitable. Your life collapsing is not. December 2015, if you lived in Rowlett, you know all about this. Tornadoes came through. And our city looked different. There were homes that had been around for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and suddenly they were gone. There were trees that had been there for generations. Suddenly, they were gone. That storm left a mark on us. But it also anchored us to some really incredible things. See, God ripped down walls, and people actually met neighbors that lived next door to them for years, and they never met. When we did nowhere else to turn, people were turning to the church to find people who could give them hope. The church was leaning on the Lord, and we were working actually together with other churches. Crazy, right? Uh, We were working with other churches to bless our community and make an impact in this area. So here's what I want you to think about for a minute. Have you ever considered the storm in your life to be a gift? That maybe, maybe sometimes it will anchor you to stuff that you should have never been disconnected from in the beginning or from the first place. It's, listen, I mean, Jesus says this in John 16, 33. He says, you will have suffering in this world. He doesn't say you might. It's not an if, it's a when. You're going to have it. As a matter of fact, some people go, well, once I have Jesus, I'm going to be less targeted. No, when you have Jesus, you are more targeted by the enemy. So don't be surprised when it happens. He says, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. Why? Because you're great? Nope. Because you're strong? Nope. Because you got something and you can do something amazing? No. Be courageous. I, Jesus, have conquered the world. See, Jesus never teaches us a storm-free life exists for us in this, on this side of heaven, but he does teach us that there's a life that can withstand the storm if we are anchored to the foundation of Jesus Christ. We're all going to face the storm. The Bible says that it rains on the just and unjust alike. Two times in the text we've read in Luke, it says the flood came and the river crashed against that house. Both houses experienced the storm. And the storm revealed what each house was made of. I think about that when the storms hit your life. Maybe it's a personal crisis. Maybe it's a medical crisis. 
Maybe for you, it's stuff happening in our culture, and that's the crisis you're feeling right now the biggest. Or maybe it's a political issue in our world, or maybe it's something you're seeing on social media. Can I tell you, none of that, the culture, the politics, the social media, none of that makes us into something. It reveals what we already are. And can I tell you, I do not like that statement because I find it to be way too true of myself. See, here's the equation I want you to look at. Pressure and time are going to reveal something in your life. Pressure of the storm and the time that you lived in it. The first thing it will reveal, pressure plus time, in a lot of people's lives, it reveals the cracks. The bad foundation. That you're not anchored where you're supposed to be anchored. But this is a cool thing. Same pressures over the same time can also reveal your commitment. It can reveal your faith that you built on a wise foundation. A couple of quick things about storms that I want you to jot down in your notes. The first one, the best time to prepare for a storm is before it comes. It is helpful. When I was a kid, I lived in Baytown, Texas. If you don't know where that is, it's down on the Texas coast. And we were always in the middle of hurricane season. A storm came through called Hurricane Alicia when I was a kid. There we go. Me and him, lived, we got it. <laughs> Thanks, Corey. I lived through Hurricane Alicia. I woke up in the middle of the night, or actually early that morning, and I hear this beating on our house, and it was branches on our house. Now, to be fair, my mom had told my dad to cut these branches on the house back over and over and over again, but dad didn't see any real big hurry, so he didn't do it. And in the middle of this storm, these things were pounding against our house, and my mom is there going, It's going to break the house apart. So my dad, you're going to see where I get some of my wisdom, grabbed a saw in the middle of a hurricane and went outside and started sawing limbs off the tree. It did work, but at one point, we're looking out the back window of our house. We see dad, and then there's this big gust, and dad is gone. Spoiler alert for anybody that's nervous, dad's still with us. It's fine. He's in the backyard, and then he's gone, and we, like, not joking, seconds later here on the front door, we open it, and there's Dad. <laughs> the hurricane had picked him up and whipped him around the front of our house. It could have been way worse. It became a funny thing for us, but it could have gone real bad. The problem was we didn't prepare for it. We didn't do the things that we needed to do. We prepare with the daily habits and the daily decisions that we make. We get into God's Word. We get into community. We learn financially to create margins so that when stuff happens, we learn to invest in our marriage so that when stuff happens, we can weather the storm. But also there's this, because some of you are going, well, great, I'm already in the middle of the storm. I guess I'm just up a creek. No, you're not. It's not ideal to start building in the middle of the storm, but it is not too late either. Start now. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. Man, follow this progression. It's beautiful. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. When you're struggling, when you're in the middle of the storm, it is not too late to go and cry out to God. If you're in the middle of one right now, I just want to say this. If you're struggling, you've got a storm that's hitting your life, please don't lose hope. Please, start building. I can tell you with absolute certainty that whatever you're going through, God has a plan. He can work through this. I can say that confidently, not because I know the future, but because I know the God of the future. 
and his promises are true. Maybe for you, it's a form of spiritual warfare like Job, or maybe for you, it's a result of sin, or maybe it's just the result of living in a broken world, but however you got there, your response in the storm can be a megaphone to the world about the power and the grace and the love of God. So let me ask you a couple of key questions to think about. The first one is this. What is God saying to you? He is, he is always speaking. Are you listening? Are you listening? Second question, if you're listening, what do I need to do? What is God asking of me? And I tell you, so often we want this big grand picture of God, I want you to show me this great big grand vision that you have for my life. And God's going, nope, I'm just going to show you one step at a time. And I just need you to step with me. I need you to walk with me. That's what I want you to do. I'm going to tell you the next step for your spiritual growth, the next step for your finances, the next step for your emotional health. Maybe for you, it's that you need to get off social media for a little while. You need to pray more and scroll less. I don't know. Maybe you need to fast from some voices in your life that you need to turn down the volume on. But whatever it is, make it simple, tangible, and clear. Ask God to reveal that. And another important thing is to ask this question, when am I going to do it? If you're going, I'm listening and I know what God wants me to do, great, when? There was a lady back many years ago, her name is Rose Crawford. Rose spent 50 years of her life blind. And then at the age of 50, there was a surgery that she underwent. When she came out of surgery, they unwrapped her face. And for the first time in 50 years, she could see. She was blown away by colors and shapes and things she had only envisioned for 50 years. And then she could see them. What she said about that moment was that she was thrilled and heartbroken. Why heartbroken? Because her doctor had offered her the surgery 20 years earlier. There were 20 years of her life. She spent blind because she simply didn't do what she needed to do. 20 years from now, God may open up your eyes. He may show you what he wants you to do and you may finally act on it. And I'm going to be thrilled. I'm going to be excited for you, but can I tell you this? It could have happened today. Nothing's stopping it from happening today. Anybody in this room got the gift of procrastination? What about the gift of spiritual procrastination? Can I be honest with you? As believers, I think what most of us need to do, we've known for years. I can't tell you the number of people I've sat with, walked with, and in my own life, the amount of times I've known clearly what God has asked me to do, and I've put it off, and I've put it off, and I've made excuse, and I've made excuse, and I've made excuse, and I've lied to myself, and I've lied to others. And then I sit in services like this, and I go, man, I wish I knew what to do. And even that's a lie. Because I know. And what I need more than anything is the courage to do it. Decide. Pick a date. Tell somebody. Ask them to hold you accountable. One of the most common analogies for, the spirit, for our spiritual growth is a walk. Not a sprint. 
a walk. I think a lot of us, we don't end up going anywhere because we go, man, when I take off with God, I want to go in a full-on sprint, but you haven't been running. If you're a people of a certain age and you haven't run in a long time and then you take off in a sprint, you know what you're going to do? Hurt yourself. You know what you need to learn to do first? Walk. See, in the option between waiting to sprint or walking, you're going to get a lot farther down the road by simply walking one step in front of the other instead of waiting around for the sprint. You're going to cover a lot of ground. If you'll just put one foot in front of the other and begin to move, it'll be amazing what God will do. Ask God right now, what is the next best thing I can do? In whatever area of my life, what is the next best thing? When we were in Germany on mission trip this summer, we went to a city called Ulm. And one of the cool things about Ulm is that it has the largest cathedral, tallest cathedral in the world. And you can tour this. As a matter of fact, you can go, like there's, it's so tall, there's 768 steps to get to the top of this cathedral. And you can pay for the pleasure of walking 768 steps that are not ADA, by the way, at all. They're steep and way bigger than what you'd think. And I, along with some of our young adults, thought, let's do this together. And as I got about a third of the way up, it occurred to me, this is stupid. <laughs> Why haven't they built an elevator in this stupid building at this point? It was painful for me. Like, have you ever been in a place where everything hurts? Like, I mean, I, normally when you work out, like a day or two later, you get sore. Have you ever gotten sore while doing the exercise that you're doing? Everything in my legs back here was just going like, stop, stop. And I got to a point where, no joke, all I was able to do was just, I was doing this in my head. I don't know if you've ever, like, talked to yourself in your own head. It's a little bit weird, but I was going, okay, one, two, three, breathe. One, two, three. When you have to remind yourself to breathe, you're not doing great. And behind me, I could hear these young adults. You can do it. Shut up. <laughs> but they kept me going. Little by little, we reached the top. I want to encourage you today, keep walking, keep walking. God's calling us to build unshakable lives and what so many of us need is we need to just go into the daily steps, the daily routine to walk with God, to read his word, to pray, to worship and breathe, to read his word, to pray, to worship, to connect with the biblical community, to breathe to read his word, to pray, to worship. Just breathe and walk and walk and walk. And you'll be amazed at how far he takes you and how unshakable your foundation becomes. Not an earth-shattering message today, but a life-changing one if we'll let it get inside of us. If we'll actually do what he's asked us to do.